Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast features Al Bentley, founder of Simply Wall Street. Simply Wall Street is one of Australia's outstanding financial technology businesses. No doubt you will have seen their investment articles or even experienced the platform. Al and I recorded this conversation with the intention of airing this episode as part of a new business course and accompanying podcast series we're launching on our RASC education website with the aim of helping people to start successful businesses. Al shares his journey and what led him to create an investing platform with over 2.5 million users. Having played along, I'm often taken back by how quick his company has grown its user base. While the lessons from this talk were primarily aimed at business owners and founders, it's a fascinating conversation of what it takes to start something with scale in mind. After talking through it, we decided to air this episode with you, our investor listeners, 
so you can get a sense of what it takes to start and operate one of these rapidly growing technology businesses. If you're interested in joining Simply Wall Street, be sure to check the description of this Australian Investors Podcast episode where you'll find a unique link to join the data-rich platform that Al and his team have created. As always, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Al Bentley, founder of Simply Wall Street. Al, thanks for taking some time out to join me for this, I guess, very special interview with you, mate. Happy to be here. Uh, We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about probably investing is going to be brought up. So that's going to be a bit of fun. Um, I'm sure you have some really important lessons to be learned from your own experience, which you can depart with for our um, our listener base and our viewers. Um, I realized that coming into this and when we set up this meeting about a month ago that as far as I could tell, no one's really covered this ground with you. And I feel like what you've created is so special that I'm just pretty, I'm pretty stoked to be having this chat, mate. Yeah, so am I. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I, I guess because this is a, a business focused discussion, um, I pretty much just want to pick your brain about the journey that you went on to start the business. And I guess some of the advice that you would have for other people out there who are looking to start a business, whether that's a, a startup, like a technology startup, or whether it's a business, it could be whatever. Um, but maybe just to set the scene, um, I know that you were a naval architect um, <laughs> before you, you started your thing, but I think your journey to, um, towards technology and having your own business started long before then. So maybe you can just tell us a bit about yourself growing up, some of the things you did um, in your early teens and late teens that kind of led you on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll try and keep it uh, short because I can talk for forever on that. I actually recently did, we do these things at Simply Wall Street called AMAs where people like have a session on their life story. So I kind of went over this quite recently with the whole team and it was cool. pretty fun. So um, yeah, so I'll keep it short. Um, I guess the most important thing is when I was growing up, my my parents, especially my mom, were quite anti-technology, screens, computers, things like that. So for example, we had a computer at home, but we were only allowed to use it for sort of one hour a day. Um, and um, so it was a bit restricted. And I think I was really interested in it, but I didn't really feel like I got you know, to really uh, get into it. Um, and um, when I was growing up, another thing that's kind of interesting to know is that I was, was, I'm quite dyslexic. So I struggled quite a lot at school. Um, and uh, I think that um, certainly I, I remember when I was younger, you know, coming up to age, and my, my image of myself was I was not a smart kid, right? I think this is actually more common than people appreciate that if you're in school and you're constantly getting answers wrong, getting low test scores, you, you form a self-image that you're not really that smart. And I think that's quite dangerous because because then you just stop trying, right? Mm. Um, and you or even go as far as saying, oh, well, I, you know, I better not, um, you know, oh, I better not speak up what if I'm wrong and it's embarrassing? So it's, it's a quite, uh, I, I was like a very shy, uh, kid and I didn't really have, like, I believe myself to not be very intelligent. Um, the school I was at, we, we lived abroad when we were younger, we weren't in England, but the school I was at was an international school. It wasn't a great school for people with learning difficulties. 
And so my parents made a really hard decision to send me to a boarding school in the UK. And uh, the important thing about this boarding school was uh, that they had a computer room and that the parents were not around. And they had uh, all these computers, very old ones. Um, the computers had no games on them, but there were lots of books about how to program. And I kind of found like a sanctuary in this computer room, I guess, because it was like a safe space. And I just, with other people, of course, just learned to program and we just made games. Um, and it was cool because if you made a great game, we weren't the only ones who wanted to play games. All the other kids at the school also wanted to play games. And so um, it was kind of like a little sort of proof that you built something great that people could come and play your, play your game. Um, and I guess, you know, again, really cutting stuff short, um, as I got more into computers and making games, anyone who's made a game knows it's, knows it's mostly about math. Mm. Um, and so it started to make me appreciate math. And I started to realize that, hey, I actually can do this. I can do math like it like It kind of gave me an interest in it. And from the age of like 11 to probably 14, 15, I went from being in the lowest, what will be called class at math to the highest class um, because I suddenly had an interest in it. And, actually, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, I really need to learn trigonometry because I want to make a ball bounce around the screen, things like that. Um, and so then I, I, I was really just my entire childhood was I was just, a real computer geek, I guess. Like I just obsessed with computers. That's all I wanted to do. I just was obsessed with, with building things, programming. And um, when the internet came along, I was rough, I think I was 14. And that was when I released my first, as you might call it, like app, although mm. we didn't call them apps in those days. And it was this Windows shell replacement, which I won't go into what that was, but that at the time was actually crazy popular. It had like 100,000 downloads. And so even at that age, I was, I was like kind of obsessed with, building things and getting them out there and I guess, you know, change, changing things. Um, mm. And so it was only when I kind of got to age 18 that I sort of um, started, maybe I, I'm going to say discovered the rest of the world. <laughs> and, uh, and that was what led me to naval architecture because actually the logical thing, if you're a computer geek would be to go study computer science. Right. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't really want to, I, I kind of, I think, deep down, I felt that I was already kind of a geek. And if I went to study computer science, I'd continue to be a geek. So therefore I wanted to study something different. I think that was probably really what was going on. I also loved building furniture and design. So there wasn't totally random. Mm. Um, I went to study architecture, didn't particularly like architecture because there was not much academic side to it. Then I went to study something called naval architecture, which is designing boats. And the good thing about the course is it's entirely math. So it really pushes your, your, your math ability. Um, again, very long story short, after I graduated, I went to, came to Australia because I'm really uh, big into surfing and windsurfing. So I wanted mm. somewhere that was warm and windy. You're a bit of a champion, I hear, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, I got very into windsurfing. There's a theme here of obsession, I guess. And, um, mm. and so came to Australia, started working at the time in Perth. There was this huge oil and gas boom. So you literally could just walk around and you'd get a job. Um, so I started working in oil and gas there. And um, that was also when I really started to invest. So I was always interested in, in the stock market. It, it always fascinated me. And as I started to teach myself to invest, I started to um, just be kind of, I guess, you could say disappointed with how how the websites worked how the services worked and why the whole experience was just so difficult yet you had this great technology that, that could make it easier 
Um, and, uh, and, it, and also one thing I would point was, I, I was starting businesses very young as well. I, mm. My first business was, was when I was 16, mm. um, designing websites for parents at school, which was a pretty easy way to make money. And so I, I started work in Perth, started investing, and I was very actively thinking I want to start a business. So I think we'll probably get this later in the podcast, but I was like, okay, I want to start a business. Uh, I was playing with a lot of ideas. And one of these ideas that I was experimenting with a lot was this idea of uh, something to help people that, you know, uh, who want to invest in stocks and um, solving problems there. And the more I investigated it, the more it just started to really shine as uh, something with big potential. Mm. And there came a point where I said, I think I'm ready to do this. And I was just waiting for a kind of a catalyst. And for me, the catalyst was a, an accelerator program, which is really a kind of startup thing. But um, there was an accelerator program that started in Sydney and, um, and I guess I got in fairly easily because by then I already built an app. <laughs> so I was quite far ahead of everyone else. And so that was how I ended up in Sydney. And that's the, where the Simply Wall Street journey started. Mm. You're right in saying that you've cut a lot short there. I feel like there's <laughs> so much in there, mate. Um, one of the things that's really common, though, is this thread of entrepreneurship that goes through people's lives. I find that, I mean, you might have experience with this, but... I find that oftentimes the most successful business people start isn't the first one. And so I find that it, there's a certain, I guess, something in someone's personality that lends themselves to doing this. Did you come out to Australia by yourself when you first came out? Uh, I came out with a partner, but I, but, but I did come out, for example, without a job. And at the end at the time, everyone was like, Oh, that's so risky. <laughs> you know, you mm. can't come out without a job. And like, sure yeah. you can, you know, um, so I did have a partner at the, at the time who we came out with, um, but it didn't feel, didn't feel very risky. If that makes yeah. sense. So that's funny, right? Cause a lot of people would think that that's something that's extremely risky to go across the other side of the world and just go without a job. You enjoy surfing. Yeah, great. But where does the money come in? But I guess you knew that you had this technical ability. Um, how about like starting those businesses earlier on? Um, do you think that you would be where you are today without starting those businesses? Well, I, I actually think it's, to, to your point, it's even deeper, I think, than just starting businesses. And I think a lot of people, when they start a business, what, they, what you really have to be doing is asking yourself, what do, I, what do I want out of this business? Like, what am I actually doing? Because I actually think that most entrepreneurs don't think about it as a business per se. I think they just think about it as, something that they're deeply interested in and something they want to change. So I actually kind of think that the, the, the foundations of entrepreneurship are basically doing things. I know it sounds really silly, but just getting up and doing stuff like doing, um, doing interesting things that you don't have to do. Like, you know, these things are entirely optional. You know, you can get away without doing them. It's only the people that do them that make it, that, that, that change things. So there's like this whole thing of what I just call being, proactive but yeah just just doing these things and then there's this concept of um uh, you know think no, a belief that things can be different i think that's also important so mm -hmm. i think it starts there i i haven't figured it out but I, there's probably something in you know early childhood that sort of builds that um i don't know i i can try and think of things that i did but there's lots of other entrepreneurs who have different backgrounds um 
And then I think, you know, as people grow up, they start to say, oh, hey, this is actually a career path of sorts that I can actually do this as well. Like I don't have to um, take a job. And, and to your point, I, the really big difference, in my opinion, between entrepreneurs naturally is that to an entrepreneur, the riskier option is the, is the, is the predefined career. The riskier option is not going to Australia because that scares them. You know, that's, mm. that's them saying, Oh God, like, but I'll never get my chance to do this. So, you, so that, and, but to some, so that's, that exactly sort of is like differentiates those two people. Right. So mm. for me, if I wasn't going to Australia, I would have been freaking out because I'd be like, well, I don't want to, I want to be doing something. Likewise, mm. I, I wanted to start a business. I knew I was going to do it. The risky, the risky part to me was not doing it. it does that make sense? Totally. I, I feel like I had a very similar like, feeling at the time when I kind of went on my journey, which was I had an itch that I had to scratch. And if I didn't do it, then I would probably live with regret. It's kind of that regret minimization framework, I guess. If I don't do it now, when will I do it? And I really wanted to take that. Um, you mentioned the name of your business, Simply Wall Street. By now, millions of people around the world are familiar with it. But at the time, right, it was an idea and you say that there was this incubator. Can you tell us a bit about, obviously you must have had the technical skills to build a tech platform like this, but can you tell us a bit about why the incubator was so important for you to get started? Well, one thing I'll point out is that I was working on it as a, as a sort of side hustle for like mm. a year and a half before, do you know what I mean? The incubator was what, gave me the confidence to quit my job and go full power into it, I guess. Um, and that's one thing I would say, like you best advice I can give to start your own business is do it now and do it on the side. You don't need to quit a job to do it. Of course it's beneficial and you get more time, but you can do a huge amount um, on the side, you know, um, especially if you have a very easy job. <laughs> um, um, so, um, so yeah, so to your point, uh, I was already working on it for a long time. Actually, when I, you can, this is crazy. I, I can find all the videos online if you know where to look, but, um, a guy recently was tweeting about them, a friend of mine in Perth. But when I first had the idea, I kind of knew it was an idea as in, I knew it was an experiment. So I called it Ninja Vest, like as in, I purposely gave it a temporary name because I believe names actually aren't that important in the grand scheme of things. And then when I was experimenting with it, a friend of mine, uh, um, go, um, called Andrea she came up with the idea hey why don't you call it Simply Wall Street and I was like actually that's a great name it's so simple so that's where the name came from hmm. um, and then the incubator um, it definitely was important I think it would be it would have been challenging to start the business without it they didn't really give you much advice to be frank but the important thing is they gave you some investment and for our business when you really want to make a platform you need financial data and there's only two ways you can get it. You can either buy it or you can scrape it. And the problem with scraping the data is it might get you some way, but it's very unlikely that it's going to be reliable. And it's very unlikely that people are going to pay for it, um, you know, as a, as a platform, which is obviously the goal. Um, and the data fees are, are pretty, pretty pricey. So effectively the, 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 the hundred thousand that um, that came from the incubator effectively went straight onto the to data fees to get us started. Now, luckily, um, we worked with Standard and Paws, and they gave us uh, a, a very kind of friendly startup deal that kind of grew with us. 
so that was really the catalyst because it let us sort of start to take things pretty seriously. Um, mm. And, um, and it was good. They was, they did help with other things like setting up to your point, setting up the business and all this stuff. But um, yeah, they, uh, it was, it was a fairly hands-off uh, incubator <laughs> to, be, okay. to be, to be frank. Yeah. I might get you to just drill in on that point, but also explain it to us um, for people that don't have either investing or a tech background to explain what simply wall street is like the vision that you had for it, but then why that data was important and how you built it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the vision for the business is, is all about helping individual investors invest in stocks, which is exactly a problem that I faced and I, or I guess I still face it to be. Uh, and, um, so, that's a whole interesting problem in itself. Uh, and I, what I realized was that there really wasn't something that helped actually helped people. And, I, and there's lots of services that appear to help people invest, but they're not really helping them. Um, and I actually believe that um, individuals can invest in fact, effectively in stocks and it is a learning process. And so that's what we want to help people with. And so simply wall street, takes financial data. So that's where that's important. And the financial data on its own isn't particularly useful to an individual investor. It's very complicated. You don't really know what to look at. There's heaps of websites which will dump data on you, but it will make probably make your investing experience worse. What we do is we analyze that data in a way that is suitable for, for long-term uh, type approach to investing, which is what we believe works mm. for individuals. And then we also present it in a way that's easy to understand. And that's the other problem is not only do individuals not have access to information, their knowledge levels are generally a bit lower. And so what we try to do is, is present the important parts in a way that's easy to understand and really focused in on the company. And we really believe that when you're thinking about investing, you should be thinking that I'm just buying a share in this business. I'm becoming a shareholder in the business. That's, that's that. If you have that mindset, you massively simplify investing. You're not trying to time the market. You're not trying to do all this crazy stuff. Um, and so that's, that's what we're trying to do. Now, if we didn't have the good quality financial data, we, you, you, that's the basis. Like that's where everything starts. So yeah, that's, it was pretty critical. Mm. So that kind of um, information discovery process for people is quite difficult, but let's just imagine it's not investing, which is kind of our forte or um, tech, which is your forte. Imagine it's any business is, I guess just finding out what you need to do in the first place. But I guess your, I guess, lead time that 18 months gave you a chance to really sit down and plan and think, did you have this kind of great big document where you had a business plan and how you would monetize and when, or did you, were you kind of more, I guess, agile to use a phrase and just kind of respond to things as they go? Uh, I, I did have documents. Yeah, I did. I definitely had plans. It's, it just, it was um, <laughs> looking back, you're, you're still extremely naive in, in all respects, you know, so things that are theoretically easy to build. So yeah, to your point, I done quite a lot of work or what I believe to be a lot of work on like what, what the product should look like. Um, I think relatively speaking, I had done a lot of work, but in hindsight, I actually wished I'd done a lot more work. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I was obsessed with this book called The Lean Startup, but that that book's good as a starter, but it doesn't go anywhere near deep enough, you know. And so, um, so, so I had that part sort of vaguely in my mind. Um, there's one thing to be said that for most, I guess, most businesses, you 
the founders generally solving their own problem. Okay. And so as long as they solve their own problem somewhat well, and there's enough people that share that problem, that's the, the sort of genesis of any, of any business. Um, most businesses often fall down because either they didn't solve the problem in the first place or no one else shared the founder's problem. Um, so that's a way of sort of initially shortcutting, I guess, a lot of this stuff, because if you built something that is useful for you, then as long as people share it, it's, it's useful for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had plans, but I, but they were, you know, that's the best thing when you're only like three people, you can be super agile and you can, but we, we broadly followed the plan for the first six months. Mm. I have to admit, I had, I think I'd had sort of a internal gateway after that six months, which was once we launched this, it lets actually see if anyone uses it. And luckily they did. So that was sort of my first gateway of like, Hey, I, I, this is actually, there's, you know, there's really something here, you know? Mm. How, so that, so when you built this app and that six month, I guess, gateway, did you have uh, like a viable product, like minimum viable product by then? Or was it, it was, it was, as far as I know, it's kind of just a free platform for people to use at the time. Yeah, it was totally free. It was extremely minimal. <laughs> like, I mean, we cut every corner you could possibly cut. Um, yeah, it was extremely basic. Uh, mm. And that's actually one of the, the two interesting things that you have here with, uh, with, with technology businesses, at least. Like, you want to start with a minimal viable product, but then the problem is if it's successful, you're like, whoa, ho, holy shit. Like, uh, sorry, I don't know if I to swear on there, but um, you're like, whoa, ho, we, you know, this, can't, this thing cannot be scaled. And what we actually did is we did try to scale it, right? And so we actually sort of scaled up the MVP for the next two, pretty much two years until it's sort of like a, not saying a house of cards, but you just couldn't scale it anymore. Like we wouldn't even, we, you know, we wouldn't have even been able to hire anyone who wanted to work on it, if that makes sense. So mm. that's probably a nuance of a technology business, I would say. But starting with the minimal product is definitely the route to go. Anything more in, and you might get lucky, um, but more, most likely you'll learn more by releasing earlier, releasing something that's unfinished and unready. Uh, but you'll learn if you're on the right path. So I, I think that would also apply to any business. I can't think of a business where that wouldn't apply. Mm. It's, it, it, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Sometimes, you know, I, think this, I think it's Bezos that said this, like sometimes you can have these really complex problems, but you just need to start you know, you can plan and plan and plan, but sometimes you just need to start. And one of the things that's on your LinkedIn channel, uh, LinkedIn profile, and I, I, I said I was going to quote this verbatim, but one of the things that you said is success is about, it's 100% about execution, not ideas, but done is better than perfect. And I feel like, well, that's something for me, done is definitely better than perfect. <laughs> but but I, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. Like sometimes you just need to get started to see if people like it. Um, and your idea earlier on about, not testing the water with both feet, kind of testing it with one foot at a time. That's a Warren Buffett quote. Um, is just to give it a shot as a kind of like a side hustle, if you like, or, or start it from there. Um, so I feel like one of the things that I should ask you is if you look back on it now, um, to those early days until now, were there any really important decisions that you made, either good or bad, and kind of things that you would have done differently um, not just for your business, I guess, but just generally speaking, even if you had some tidbits there. Um, what would I have done differently? That's a really good question. Um, 
I don't often I mean, have self-reflection like this, so I'm just putting you on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I, I mean, we, I, we've made a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, you need to make those mistakes. That's how you learn. So I wouldn't say, oh, I don't want to make them, if that makes sense, you know? Mm. Um, I, I think I could have been even more customer obsessed. That sounds silly, but I really think that that could have, could have been done even earlier and we would have sort of... Um, I guess had a had a better product faster, frankly. How weren't um, you? How weren't you customer success? Like, what would you have done better? How would you have done that? Um, so, for example, like really early on, what we used to do, uh, uh, my original co-founder and I, we used to like print out uh, mock-ups of how what we would call the company report or research report would look. And you, we would go to these like investing conferences and test it with people and ask them if it was useful. So it's like the most simple possible form. Now that was, you know, that was one thing we could have done. Uh, sorry, so that was, we did that well, I think. And, you know, and we, learned, we learned what was working and we changed stuff. Um, I think uh, once we launched the MVP, rather than rush off and keep building features, we made a huge, one huge mistake we made was we, we built what people asked for uh, and that's a very common uh, mistake. It's very tempting that you get all these emails, people saying, oh, I love, I love what you guys are building. Um, could you build this? And, it's, and you think, oh, this is easy. We'll just build what the most commonly requested feature is. Uh, and then you end up with like a kind of, um, I'm trying to think of a good terminology, but you just end up with a, it's a completely mishmash muddled product that makes no sense. Um, and so especially for consumers, I'm not saying people can't give you great ideas, they can, but the process needs to be understand the problem. So when someone tells you, oh, can you build X? What you need to understand is why do they want X? So for, that was a big mistake that we just, as soon as we launched, we just sort of rushed off and just built what people were asking for. What we should have done is paused and done more reflection on what the people's problems were and probably built a bit slower and a bit more thoughtfully. Um, so that was one, one thing, um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's a lesson. It's part. Of the, it's part of the fun. So, you know, um, you have to you have to make some mistakes. Which I think what else would uh, would be a an interesting one? Um, did yeah? Did the business go through any uh, experiences? What I would call NDA, near death experience, or anything like that? Did you have any major hiccups along the way? Uh, I was sort of in touch wood. Where is it? Uh, I would say actually, no, I would say I've, I mean, lots of my friends, because I, this is a great thing. One great thing about these incubators or accelerators is that you're with a lot of other founders. So you do get to share in the, in the mm. kind of journey. Um, yeah. We didn't have anything that bad. I would say we definitely had times where we were running out of money and um, you know, and luckily we managed to raise money in time. Otherwise we'd have had to let a few people go. Mm. So for example, like the first um, uh, fellow that we actually hired was our CTO, Jabin. And he, you know, he, he, he needed to work, right? So he needed, he needed a salary. And so he actually, um, he kind of said to us, Hey guys, like either I, you know, either, either, you, either we work together or I'll have to find a job. And we were like, well, you know, we, we better hire him. So we actually hired him before we had really enough money. Mm. We had enough money for a few months, I think, but then luckily we were able to raise money. So it's all these kind of connected pieces, right? Because um, if you don't hire people, you can't, you can't grow, you can't do things. 
Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. So no, I, I think touch, I wouldn't say so near death experience to me is like, you know, really scary kind of, um, having to let a lot of people go or imminent, imminent crash. So no, we'd never, we'd never, never had that. Okay. Let's hope you don't. I'm touching, <laughs> I'm touching the, the wood down here for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm touching the fake wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. then. so you mentioned there like raising capital from investors and, um, one of the questions that a lot of people face, um, particularly in tech, but also just in every business, I guess, is like, how do you fund the dream? Mm. And I'm like, I think the more, st- obviously it's got catch me too, because the bigger you get, the easier it becomes um, because you have you know, a demonstrable track record or whatever, and a product that works and what have you in the early days. Uh, so I'm guessing you got a big cash from the incubator, but was there any, like, was it, did you decide to fund um, like your team at the beginning? Did you guys decide to fund it yourself, kind of just bootstrap it? Or did you go externally? Did you find you know, the family, friends and fools kind of thing or, or faithful, I should say? <laughs> uh, yeah, funding's a super interesting question. I mean, I think sort of generally speaking, funding uh, for some reason is, is, is thought of as a measure of success. I think that's a mistake. I think, mm. I think if possible, and if you can do something without funding, you should, generally speaking. Um, and I think people, what they forget is that early on in, a, in any business, generally speaking, unless it's maybe a more like a bricks and mortar business, the funding is usually going on, on people and it's going on salaries. And so therefore it's going on time. Okay, and there's a lot of other ways of of accessing time than funding. Mm. So, for example, you know, I would always say uh, initially, unless unless the founders maybe it's a second business or maybe there's a special situation, but one thing founders can invest in their business is their time. Okay, and so, for example, we we went for more than two years, maybe two and a half without paying ourselves a salary. And even the first salary for the first few years was extremely low. Like it was, you know, it was probably less than working in a cafe. So, um, so that was our investment, if that makes sense. Now, I, this is something that I planned out. So I'd purposely been saving beforehand because as I said, I was planning to start a business. So it wasn't a surprise. Mm. Um, so that also helped me because I was a bit more comfortable. I also, when I was running the business initially, in Sydney, I, I lived in my van in a car park. So I didn't have to pay any rent. (laughs) So I didn't pay any rent. So I had all these things set up so that I didn't, um, you know, so that basically money wasn't a problem because of course this is a challenging thing. If money becomes a problem, you're not going to be able to do great work. So, uh, it's, it's, you really need to get yourself set up so that you can basically focus and do good work on, on your business, whatever that takes, whether it's support from friends, uh, you know, or maybe, you know, moving back in with your parents, I don't know, whatever it takes, you've got to figure it out in your situation that the, so the initial funding for businesses, um, I generally think the friends and family is quite a bad idea. That's just my personal opinion. I think that you've already got a family relationship and then, you know, you borrow money of someone or it's just, I think it's sort of a bit of a recipe for disaster. Um, mm. But I know it's quite common in the US, for example. Um, you, are, you are not going to easily be able to raise money for your business without a track record, without traction, right? So you have to get that first. Like that's the, whatever it is, you've got to prove. And 
this is the funny thing. A lot of founders are like, oh, I can't raise money. Oh, no one's going to give me money. But the founders are going to be investing their own time for years, right? So all we really have as humans is time. So they should also want to get traction to make sure that this is a worthwhile thing to invest their own time into. So it, it, it works both ways. Like you, you want to be sure that you're going to say, hey, I'm going to dedicate two years of my life or whatever it's going to take to this business. You want to be pretty damn sure. You want to have done, had some traction beforehand that this is something that's going to be worthwhile. Um, and so if you have traction, you can raise money. I think that that works, that works together. So you, you, the first step is getting that traction, whatever your business is. At the six-month mark for you, if you hadn't have seen the growth that you did, would you have been able to pull up stumps or walk away from it? Um, I mean, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm a pretty determined person. So I, I like to think I would, but I'm also, I'm, you know, other sort of important skill that all founders need is perseverance. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, but this, at the same time, you hear a lot of founders who have probably persevered for too long and the writing was on the wall and just wasn't working and they just can't see it. So it's a, it's a balance, you, you know, um, I think, I think so. I think the other thing is, which is a common term in startup land is something called a pivot where you might say, hey, look, this first thing didn't work, um, but we've learned this on our journey, and so this is a better opportunity. And there's heaps of businesses that are extremely successful. For example, mm. Slack, um, you know, Stuart Butterfield, they, they were building some kind of game, and whilst they were building the game, they were talking, I believe, on IRC, and they, they built, you know, so that was a classic, a totally different direction. So that was probably what we would have done is, is sort of thought, hey, what else have we learned and spotted as an opportunity? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like that's a good thing. Mm, absolutely, it is. So bring us up to now, Al. Um, like I'm, I've you know, been around you long enough now to know kind of what the business does and how good it is. Can you give us some high level facts about the business and I guess how your day has changed from years ago to now? Like what do you, what's your average day look like and what role mm. do you fill in the business? Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. I'm not allowed to program anymore. I'm not a good programmer, dude. I can program to make things like work, but behind it is like a, I don't know if you've ever seen that meme where there's like a nice facade and behind the facade there's like stuff holding it up. That's my programming. Um, <laughs> but luckily I don't do that anymore. Um, although I do enjoy programming, but yeah, I'm banned from doing that. Um, yeah. Now in my role, how it's changed. So, so originally I, I was very hands-on, right? So yeah, a lot of writing, a lot of the original code, um, you know, obviously um, hiring, raising money, um, doing, doing a lot, yeah, doing all of the growth work. Um, like the first, one of the first kind of like growth bots we wrote, I wrote in Excel, bizarrely, you know, cause it was just so easy. Um, but now the way my day looks is I'm mostly just communicating and with people, with the team, um, and just, um, yeah, spending a lot of time, I guess, just talking. So it's, 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 um, it's funny cause I have two days a week, which I have and you're on one of them now which is uh, so that's why that's why we can get this time which which are like no meeting days so it's just time to myself but the other days i'm just um yeah just just talking with the rest of the team with the rest mm. of the team leads and working on i still mostly work on the product and and help the product teams out with that 
Mm. Um, and then hir- hiring still takes a lot of time. So, you know, every time we hire someone, I'm, I'm especially towards the end, quite involved in that. I feel um, humbled that you've given me this time, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I like this stuff, it's fun. So, you know. It's yeah, fun. totally. Um, so you try and separate your days. So you, why do you, what do you do? So on your days off, you just chat with the team and, and kind of get amongst it and answer questions and strategize and that, I'm guessing. Well, those are on the days on. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the days off will be if there's something I need to, you know, think a bit more deeply about or uh, often there might be um, work that needs that I might review or, you know, um, like, uh, yeah, something where I might want to go and go in slightly deeper on. Um, often sometimes we'll have a, a longer session. So sometimes like I, I believe in problems that are hard to solve. You do need to spend a lot of time really thinking about them. And so that's a great opportunity to, you know, you're not, if you have like a sort of, Oh, let's have a half an hour meeting to fi- figure this out. You're not going to figure it out. You know, you need, um, unlimited, you know, sort of time where you're not, Oh, we're not running out of time. You just need to, just need to spend time. So, um, mm. but that's a part of the, the job that I love. Like, um, I love working with people. That's, I think something that is important, um, mm. that you're still, you know, I'm still, I'm still working, but it's, it's work that I love. That's probably the same with you. I think that's one of the reasons that most people do want to start their own business. And even if the business isn't sort of like wildly successful, I don't think it matters because, what you gain is freedom and being able to work on something that you love rather than something that you hate. Yeah. There's a lot of utility in running your own business, which is why I think we have so many small businesses in Australia and indeed the world. Mm. Um, So just some, are you able to offer us any high level stats about simply wall street today to give people a sense of the scale? Um, Yeah, sure. Um, Stats. (laughs) Uh, So we have, I think of like 2.3, 2.4 million uh, users. User would be someone who like who creates an account. Um, we do over 5 million in annual recurring revenue. So we're quite profitable. Um, we have a team of 26, which is growing a lot. Uh, we're going to be about to hire, hire a lot more people. So keep an eye out on that. Um, we One thing we did early on, which was definitely the right decision, was we covered international markets. Uh, rather than just Australia. So our original markets mm. that we covered were um, Australia, UK, and the US. Now we cover every market in the world. And I think, again, with software, that's it sounds silly, but like that's such an obvious choice because the same software, it can be offered to everyone. And it's, I, love, I love the idea of being able to help people who normally wouldn't be able to get help with investing. And so mm. many of the investing tools are just based on the US. And then people like Australia or New Zealand or India or all these countries have to wait years to get to get to have it released in their country, whereas we're doing the opposite. It's, it's available everywhere. So yeah, so we cover every listed company in the world, and we're available in every country in the world, which is cool. Um, yeah, cool. any other stats? <laughs> no, I, yeah. I just I, I reason why I ask that, right? It's because I want to know how it makes you feel to know that I'm just going to use round figures. Over two million people have created an account on something that you created. How does that make you feel? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why why I do it. I mean, I think that's fundamentally the same feeling as building a computer game and having people play it back at school when I was 12. I think it's the same thing. So I think, you know, that's what it's all about. And hopefully for those 2 million people or, or more, 
I'm hope, hopeful that we can help all of them with their investing. And that's what, you know, that was a problem that I had. And I believe that um, that's what we can do. And with this huge amount more scope there, there's a lot more people to help. There's a lot more totally. people investing. So that's what's so exciting about it. Did you think like, like, I guess the math brain aside, like just calculating exponential growth or what have you, that aside, did you think that you would be where you are today with the business back when you started it? Or did you, was that kind of like wildest expectations, like best outcome or where did that kind of sit, I guess? Where does it sit? Yeah, it's, it, that's an interesting question, right? Because one of the things I did before I started was I spent a lot of time researching who else was out there and was anyone else anywhere near doing what I was thinking of doing or were that, you know, were that, who were the competitors? And as you know, there are big competitors in the space and they've been around for 20, 30 years. And these mm. companies are huge and they make a huge amount of money. But yet those are the products that I was using that were not helping me. So to me, it was straightforward because they already were these huge businesses with suboptimal products. And so if you just made a good product that actually helped people, it seemed obvious that you could be as big of them, if not far bigger. Um, mm. So, um, but that being said, yeah, I have, you know, obviously um, when you first start, we were we, like, for example, we didn't charge money for the first uh, year and a half for the product, right? Because it was just too basic and we hadn't even built a, a system to do that. Um, I, we were happy enough just to have that people would even pay for it. So it goes in stages, <laughs> you know? Um, and um, so, you know, hitting our first, a thousand subscribers was a big, big milestone for us, you know, and then you're thinking, Oh God, do you think we'll ever get to 10,000, you know, a hundred thousand, et cetera. So, you know, it's cool because yeah, I think people I think people's ambitions grow, um, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I think um, the, the fundamentals was always something that was clear to me. I don't think that's changed. And, um, I think we're, we're going at it. One thing I would say is that I think founders are extremely naive with like how long things will take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. so he was like yeah yeah three years that'd be fine easy like <laughs> six years later still haven't yeah. done some of the really basic stuff that we, what we do but this is that's a common theme with every startup like if you look at um there's a really great uh blog from melanie from canva and she talks about lots of the things in her original pitch deck for canva and they still haven't done it but yet they're you know one of australia's best businesses so yeah 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 it's one of those things i feel like there's like there's this vast majority of people in between who know a little bit about founder life and starting a business. And they're like the vast majority. They don't do it. It's the people who either know everything there is to know about business or close to it, who are like experts in their field. For them, it makes sense to start a business. But then there's this other tale. And I think I'm in this other tale where I kind of just, it was like me being naive that led me to just pull the trigger and go and do it. And I think there's like, obviously that's just a generalization, but I think you kind of have to, in one hand, be a bit naive to the risks because otherwise maybe you wouldn't do it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, so I've got some like questions here, mate, that are more along the lines of specific, I guess, specific areas of business that you could lend some insights to. And so the first one is kind of that origination piece around starting a business specifically whether it's in Australia, New Zealand, I mean, it could apply globally, but specifically Australia and New Zealand. Um, did you set up the business and I'm going to use air quotes here legitimately? Like, did you set it up as 
a company structure from the get-go or was it kind of like, you know, just let's just go with an idea, build a product and then see what happens? Um, well, my advice there would, would be focus on what, what I would call product market fit, but I would just focus on finding something that, that people want, focus mm. on a problem. The, when you set the business up has like zero bearing, right? You can set the business up straight away it will make you feel nice and warm inside because you've made some progress and you've got a nice, you know, ABN, et cetera. But like, it's not gonna, it's, you've got no closer to like actually solving anyone's problems. So I, I sort of generally would just wait as long as possible for that. Um, you know, and you can do most of things as a sole trader if you really want, you know, it's only, um, I think that being said, if you're going to put some of your own money into it, which you might need to, or take other money, then yeah, of course you need to set it up. I mean, also, <laughs> Setting up a business, you can just do it online for like things like five hundred dollars and basic shareholders agreement. So these things are not the they're not the thing that should be concerned. If those are the things that are concerning you when you're starting, then then maybe that's a good time to think, hey, what am I actually <laughs> what am I doing this for? Like if you just want the word founder on your LinkedIn profile, just put it on there. You know, like I think it's the the, the you really gotta focus on on what you actually want to be mm. solving. It's that, that product you said product market fit, uh, you know, I mean, maybe I'll let you explain that. But for me, it was like, let's just, we, we can see a need here. Let's just go out and solve that first. And yeah, we might make mistakes with that stuff later. But, um, you know, I think there's an element of move fast and break things, but it's kind of just focus on the end user and make their experience better and better. So if, can you explain the concept of product market fit and then how your growth strategy from a marketing perspective fed into that? Well, I mean, product market fit, yeah, that's just a <clears throat> sort of uh, startup lingo. It, it simply is just meaning that, that you're solving problems for people. So any, it applies to any business. Um, mm. You know, you, I think you mentioned um, someone else you had on the podcast who started a cake shop, but that's still solving a problem right mm. the problem is probably getting great cakes i imagine um and um so it's, it's exactly the same thing so you got to really focus on that and the great thing is whatever you do you can usually boil that part down to be something really simple that again you can actually test or what would be known as validate before you pull the trigger and um rent an office go get your business registered get shareholders agreements so that you can actually test this stuff first that's the whole point so that's really all, all I'm all I'd be getting at there um, and I would even say you could probably wait as long as possible to really make sure that that's working you know if you were say doing a podcast maybe you could do that on the side for a few months and, and, and build up those subscriber numbers and really make sure you've got it nailed and understanding what your niche is and then you could and then you could create it's it's it's, it's it's fairly straightforward. I think, um, yeah, that there's a book called the lean startup by Eric Ries who effectively explains the, the basics of this. Cool. I'll put it in the show notes. How about when it comes to marketing, mate? Um, like oh, you, obviously you don't need to lift the lid too much, but maybe just how, <laughs> like, I think for you, right. I think I know what you're going to say. Um, like obviously you're selling a, a, a product online, um, a service for people. So it makes sense to use a digital medium. Um, is there anything I guess you'd want to add on that? Well, I think this interesting thing with marketing, um, it, it, it really depends on your business, right? There's some, there's some businesses, um, where paid marketing will make sense. There's some businesses where organic will make sense. There's some businesses where it's purely a word of mouth, you know? So 
you hopefully before you start, one of the things you should really be doing is thinking who else is successful here and how are they doing it and what channels are working for them. And you should try to understand the basic concept of not necessarily just marketing, but what I would call growth in general, growing your business. Um, so if it's a podcast or say a YouTube channel, you'd want to understand, well, Hey, who, who else is doing really well? And what are the, what is it that they're doing? And the thing is nowadays, this is so heavily written about online there's effectively playbooks for like every different vertical that you might want to go into. Now, yeah, to your point in our space, we're on the web um, and, and it's a consumer facing business. Um, we don't do marketing in the traditional sense. So people discover us what's called organically. Right. And so a big channel for us, for example, would be SEO. Now an SEO is not a channel that you can switch on and switch off. Mm. If you want to do that, you just have to buy the ads. That's like the short, the short sort of short term way of doing it. Um, so one thing to consider when you start your business is what I would do, I would list every possible channel that you can think of to grow your business. And then I would rank them in terms of how quickly you think you can do it, uh, how confident you think it is, um, and, uh, and how much impact it will have. And so one of the things that we did when we first launched Simply Wall Street is, um, Nick and I went to our inboxes, we downloaded every contact and we sent an email out to them. <laughs> Sounds pretty simple, but they, I think the total number was like almost 3,000 people, right? So yeah, cool, then we got 3,000 people onto the product. Okay, not 3,000, we probably got about 400 because of the click rate. But, but if someone gets a personal email from a friend, yeah, they're probably gonna open it, you know? Um, so that was a simple one. You can't repeat that. I can't email them again in, in two weeks time, but why would I not do it initially? To, 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 it's like a low risk thing. Um, one final thing I'll add is I'm generally not a fan of, of PR for businesses. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, in it when you get started, but the thing with PR people don't appreciate is it's not repeatable. And I think you need to understand this concept of repeatable channels, ones that it's not a once off thing. PR is almost impossible to repeat unless you have some kind of unique special data source that you can keep using to, to talk to the media about. So, you know, and I think the other thing about PR is a lot of founders have quite high requirement for significance. And so they like PR because people can see them as a founder. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so they get quite obsessed with being mentioned in the media um, and, and it's generally not a great channel. So, you know, it's, 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 it's probably not the best use of time, what I would say. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that point you make about something being repeatable is so important because at the end of the day, right, every, every single business in the world has a customer acquisition cost, a cost to acquire a new customer. And then if you get a bit more fancy with your maths and depending on the industry, you could probably do lifetime values of each individual customer that walks through the door. But marketing is all about getting that cost, customer acquisition cost as low as possible. And typically the only way I've found to do that is to have insights and to have a channel that can be exploited so that, you know, even if it's like uh, down the street, you get your favorite cafe, you want it to be in a spot where you get the most traffic, right? And then you can test out things. That's really interesting. Now, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about, and I know it's super important to you right now, and we we're talking about it off air, is building a team. And I guess just the general insights you have, and then maybe we'll drill into a couple of them, but 
Early on in the piece, um, I know like you said you started with the team. What was important to you early on and how did you go about finding a team? I mean, yeah, that's a huge topic. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's a good topic. Did you have to convince anyone to join you? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, yes, you do, you do. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a good place to start, right? Initially, as the founder of a business, people don't appreciate it, but you're, you're from the start having to sell your business in a sense, right? Because if I'm going to go and find someone to be a co-founder, unless they're already a great friend of mine, or even if they are a great friend of mine, I'm effectively selling them on, on the business and I'm saying, hey, this is a great idea. Come and work with me, you know, uh, you won't get paid for two years, but you know, it might be really successful one day. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and the selling is, is, is the idea, but you're also selling, working with you, you're selling yourself. So it's really, it's, you're basically selling yourself. And that then also applies to your early team, right? Usually as in a, in a, in a business, small business or startup, you're heavily resource constrained, right? So sure. The, the kind of, headline that everyone knows is yeah you got to build the best team you got to build the best team how am i going to build the best team if i can only pay people like a tiny amount um so mm -hmm. so you, you you're resource constrained so you can't always get these incredible people now maybe if you've got a great track record or you're an incredibly good salesperson maybe you you are lucky enough to to persuade people to come join you um but yeah you're, you're really initially a salesperson you need to convince people to come on your journey as you build your track record, that can start to change and people come to you and they say, Oh, I'd love to work for you. I love what you guys are doing. Um, but yeah, initially you sort of, you have to try and sell yourself to persuade people to join you. And you kind of, I believe you really have to look for the misfits. You have to look for people who probably, you know, there's some reason why um, they might come and work for you or maybe that they weren't suited. Um, like our second programmer that we hired, um, a fellow called Feng Fu, he, he, his English was not great. I mean, so that was why he was struggling to find a job. But yeah, guess what? He could learn English with us. It wasn't, you know, we could teach him English and he can help us. So, you know, um, and so for that reason that he was he, at that point in time, probably made sense, right? We couldn't pay a huge amount because we didn't have a huge amount of money. So um, so you have to make those hard decisions. And, and that's, that's one of the difficult things when you read all this advice of building your team it is, is people saying, oh, yeah, you gotta, you got to do all this. But you know, you're resource constrained. It's really, really hard. Um, I do think, though, it's really important, depending on the business, I generally think it's best to have a business partner. I don't know about yourself, Owen, if there's anyone else you work with. But if you don't have a business partner or someone else, you at least need someone to share the role of the business partner. And that would be um, someone to talk to when you have problems, someone to bounce ideas off, someone to help you make decisions. I, even though there's a lot of successful businesses that appear to have single founders, usually they were not single founders and usually they had people next to them playing those roles. I think most people work better um, with someone else. To mm. so me, uh, for me, it's, that's my wife. <laughs> well that's exactly that's awesome yeah yeah exactly so yeah, yeah. so but yeah she was the sugar mama and the uh, business partner if you like so she funded the dream and provided oversight which i yeah. think is so important right um yeah so the early days then what about what about now if you're i imagine you're at that point where 
It's funny how the world works. But imagine you're at that point now where people want to work for you. Like they come, you probably get people coming to you saying, I want to work for you um, because of what you've created. How do you now go about finding people? Is it a simple seek ad? Or you, I know you've got your website. Um, how, do you, how do you find people? How do you find good people? Yeah. Um, well, this is crazy because only a few months ago did we actually have someone come in and now actually help us to, to do what we call talent acquisition before it was us doing it. Mm. So, you know, it's a huge just not distraction, but it's a huge, it, it takes a lot of time to find great people. So, um, does, yeah. yeah. So it's just like, Hey, we need to build this thing. Oh, but we also need to hire people. Oh, well we can't do both. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I, I think one thing that, it's really important to say that, that at the end of the day, it's, it's only by hiring great people that you have a great business um, and, and, and have a great team. Now, it's nothing wrong with having a small business. If it's just you, that's totally fine as well. You're, you're the great person. You know what I mean? So um, it's always about people. Um, uh, I think once you're in that position where you can, the people are, I guess, coming to you and yeah, we're, we're quite lucky, you know, I guess also because we're consumer facing, we have like, quite a wide reach so you do get a lot of people who do email in saying oh i really want to work for you guys mm. um the way we do it now is we actually have quite a um i guess you could say thorough process to to, to actually be hired and um people have to do these take-home challenges uh which can take anything from a day to a week if depending how how um, much time you want to spend for it then they come in then we sit down with them um because it's a really really big decision to hire someone, you know, at any size. So you really want to make sure ideally that you, that you've got the right person and they're going to be a good fit for you. So, um, I think just being really thorough and, um, I think really focusing on, it's not so much about skills, you know, the, the right people should be learners and they can learn. It's more about the, the, the values and, um, and, and how, and how, that you can see yourself working with those people. So, um, yeah, the hiring's fun, you know. You can um, meet, meet new people, new people like that's that's what changes your business. So that's that's also a lot of fun. Sounds like the first part of that kind of hiring process for you now then is, dare I say, more of like a technical thing. Like, do you have the skills? Kind of understanding people, and then the second or third or fourth stages might be more the values. Would that be fair? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what we do now for most roles, um, we try to assess the base skills as early as possible so that basically we don't want to waste their time or ours. So for example, when we're hiring programmers, we would often we'd get them to apply via an API, which effectively like filters hmm. out really bad programmers. Um, if for example, you're applying for an equity analyst position, we'll ask you some simple, um, like challenges and if you get those wrong then we know that you know probably need to um go back and do a bit more studying so just simple stuff like that that you can kind of um you can you can filter out early um yeah i think going back to it, i would say that like i said that earlier on and even now you should still be expecting to have to sell right so that guess what the best people are probably already working somewhere <laughs> yeah. you know so you probably are going to need to sell you really are going to have to go out there and so you really got to think of how you're going to do that. Um, it's kind of a bit like dating, I guess. You really got to think, how can you make yourself stand out? What's special about you? What can you offer this person that's going to make them say, wow, this is actually a great opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. um, most people are not money driven. 
most mm -hmm. people are driven by other things. And so you got to understand people's drivers, what's really important to them. Um, and uh, so, yeah, certainly when you, when you first start out, you are going to be, you know, reaching out to a lot of people, I think, to try and persuade them. Um, and having a good network's powerful as well. I think it's, um, it's slightly underestimated that if you know you're going to start a business, you can at least start building a network in that business before you start it so that you're not a total stranger, you know. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Great. Uh, it's a great idea and great insight. Um, I guess there's one more topic area here before I just get to some evergreen questions on the end, mate. Um, the, the most important thing, I guess, for any business and for any founder or business starter is to have the founder and business starter hanging around in the first place. So what for you keeps you motivated? Like, is it the working with great people? Is it seeing that the, the growth, like what is it each day that kind of just keeps you getting up and going to work? Um, I mean, I, I guess I have a lot of variety, whether it's, you know, fires or new exciting <laughs> things or pro, you know, so there's always, there's always ups and downs and things that are going on. Um, so yeah, I, at the end of the day though, I, I love working with yeah great people and, um, I love solving these challenging problems. That's what really gets me out of bed is, um, you know, I don't think anyone's, like I said, no one's really figured out how to really help retail investors yet. And that's what we want to do. So um, I think that's what really what excites me is trying to solve these, these hard problems and, and see if we can actually come up with a, with a way of doing that. And at the same time, working with great people doing it. Mm. You said uh, before we spoke that you don't think, you're the best manager. So <laughs> yeah. you said that you, maybe you're not the right, like you're not, you just don't have those skills necessarily or, or what it might be. If you, in spite of that, because I feel like that may be a sense that you're being humble. So that maybe makes you a good manager in that regard. Um, what, if any advice would you have for people as they transition to becoming a manager and kind of remove themselves from the tools? What advice would you have for people there? Is there anything in particular? Um, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, first of all, you don't have to be good at everything. It's very unlikely that you are, you know, um, mm. often the people that might be great managers might not be the best founders, for example, you know, um, some people believe that you're either a manager or a leader. It's hard to be both. You know, there's, there's, um, different mm. opinions there. I think the first thing is just being aware of where your skills are. And, and where they're not right because as your business grows if, if you are aware that you're not the greatest manager then either you can work on it you know it's something that you can you can learn obviously some people are much more natural at it than others um but you can still learn to be better and you learn to spot the mistakes that you've made um and you or you can get people to help you it's the same as if you're starting a technology business and you're not a programmer you're probably going to need a programmer you know so it's like uh, you know, don't, uh, uh, the whole point of when you build a team is you want to be ba balanced in terms of what your, um, of the different skill sets. So I think awareness is really, is really key there. Um, and, uh, and probably start learning about these things maybe a bit sooner than you think. Um, that being said, I really like, I think I, I said earlier, like the initial thing you got to focus on is just making sure you're solving a problem for people. Mm. right you know like i said you could be the best manager in the world but if your business isn't solving a problem then it's all very nice but you need to solve the problem first so i think that's you need to make sure you start to get on 
on on that sort of road um and then you know uh, then you can start working on your management skills which is always a lot of fun mm. yeah um i think it's uh, great advice mate um i feel like uh there's a lot of good takeaways from this conversation i feel like we've only scratched the surface on a lot of them um if i could summarize that last answer for you there uh, in my words it would be that it's okay to hire people that are really good at things and even better than you are. I think something that I feel like that's something that I kind of was worried about. It's like not being, not knowing everything and not knowing everything that goes on inside the business. You kind of need to hire people that are exceptional to get the best results. And sometimes because they are exceptional, they're better than you are in certain respects. Um, what is it now? If, 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 if you're looking just at the business today, is the thing that you're the most you're the most proud of is just helping people and being able to help so many. Um, yeah, I mean, we're definitely happy with that. But I, I say um because I'm like, oh, but we could be doing an even better job. You know, like I I still know it can be better, and so that I'm still I'm like, yeah, I think we've made good progress. I think just I, I just know there's things I want to do even better there. It's yeah. probably something that will never stop. If that makes sense, you know. Um, I, I am proud of, I guess, the progress we've made. It probably took us longer than we expect, but I, like I said, I think every founder, business owner experiences that. Um, and I also think that there's not many other businesses out there that genuinely are helping people. I think that's that's something that I'm really proud of. That you know, that's still the way that we try to build our products. We're not trying to, oh, how can we make money out of these confused retail investors? We're trying to say, how can we actually help people? And that's similar to your to your business as well. I know. So, um, so um, yeah, and I think also um, the the team that we've hired here, you know, it's it's incredible, and that's something that I'm I'm really proud of as well. It's taken us a long time to figure out how to you know how to hire great people and um, how to get them to to work together in the best environment. But that's something that that really makes me happy, and um, and there's a lot more of that to come. So that's going to be super exciting. Yeah, my last question was, what are you most excited about? And I feel like did you just answer it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what am I most excited about? Um, having a I guess empowering retail investors really like, you know, really, I really think that um, with the, the, this interesting thing, right. Think about it like this. Um, if, if I'm a billionaire, right. Or if I'm, I don't know, living in a slum in Brazil, um, both those people still use Gmail. Both those people still use WhatsApp. Right. So technology is amazing like that because it's, totally democratized you know i'm i'm not having some special billionaires email system or special billionaires chat system and i really believe it can be the same with investing that you actually have exactly the same tools mm. even more powerful tools and that there's no disadvantage if anything there could be an advantage because you can be super nimble you don't have to answer to your you know the lps in your fund and and all this and all this thing so i i think this i'm really excited about changing investing in that regard to actually really empower individuals um and make them successful investors and i think it's it's totally possible i just think no one's really cracked it yet and that's that's what we're going to do mate that is super exciting and i can't wait to watch on from the outside so <laughs> thank you for um just taking the time out and sharing some of your insights with us mate really appreciate it oh, well thanks a lot Aaron. a lot of fun
For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.